Okay, it's 20th of June and time for a word about Black Lives Matter, about coronavirus, about all of this business, because it really is important the way things are going in this world. And for goodness sake, would we be protesting on the scale we, I mean, the royal we, I haven't got out of my garden, really, but, but many people I know, um, quite fond of, I have been out there in the streets protesting for Black Lives Matter. Would we be doing this on the scale we are doing it if it weren't for coronavirus, if it weren't for the general sense of disempowerment, I suppose, with this this disease and the fact that we've got no way of getting on with our lives. But we don't, do we? We don't have a way of getting on with our lives in the normal sense, that is. I mean, we're all, we are all, and some degree, busier in different ways than ever. We're all digging potatoes or talking on Zoom or Skype. But yes, in different ways, and the normal human interaction is denied to us almost universally. So things have changed. And yes, a lot of people are out of work, out of employment, out of sorts. So there is time to take time to be concerned about the issues that concern us and to get out on the streets and demonstrate. And that said, of course, it, it makes some of our precious ones vulnerable. We have to be careful about this because, for goodness sake, you look at the spikes in, in coronavirus deaths in America where the protests have been most severe. Now, it's not because of the protests, but nonetheless, the degree of mixing involved, we must be careful out of love for others when we do this sort of thing. But it raises a whole pile of issues, doesn't it? Ah, what a thing it is. I mean, Black Lives Matter. It's interesting, there was a session of the UN Human Rights Council, and uh, one of our interns was there, and she reported back, and this is what I'm talking just a day or two ago, they had George Floyd's brother there, and they were, they were talking about how good they were, all the different governments. I mean, China boasting about its care for black lives. China, where they stick a million people in prison camps, a million of their Muslim minority are in prison camps, and they can dare to boast about Black Lives Matter and their attitude, their sophisticated attitude. Come on. Australia. Australia claims it rejects all forms of xenophobia and is proud to have done so, says... Australia, or the Australian representative to the United Nations in Geneva. Well, come on, guys. Katya, the uh, NCF intern who was there, pointed out that the Australian treatment of Aboriginal people proves otherwise. Uh, I mean, according to Katya, I don't know whether she's right, but the uh, shooting of Aboriginal people only became illegal in 1973. And Austra Aboriginals make up 3% of Australia's population, but they're 28% of Australia's prison population and you know there were there were human rights issues in Australia according to the UN as recently as November 2015 with regard to the sterilizing of Aboriginal women. I don't know whether that's true but I do know that Australia's record has been abysmal and, and one of the great things was Sorry Day wasn't it that John Bond who was tied up with Initiative to Change he, he uh, initiated that got the Australian medal for it, got everybody to say sorry, including the Australian Prime Minister, for their treatment of the Aborigines, which has not been great. So stop boasting, Australia, about Black Lives Matter. And America, my goodness, America. I mean, America has 
Guantanamo? Hmm? What, about, what about Arab lives? Do they matter? Guantanamo? What about the lives of people from Afghanistan? Do they matter? What about Muslim lives? Guantanamo? People in virtual life imprisonment without trial? Guantanamo? Obama promised to abolish it. What's it doing? Guantanamo? Can America ever talk about human rights without a sense of shame? Guantanamo? And then you have the three strikes and you are out policy. You realize, I mean, I think everybody knows, but does everybody know? You commit three offenses, three criminal offenses in America and are convicted for them. The third time you get convicted, you are in for life imprisonment. Oh, come on. I mean, where is the justice in that? That is unbelievable. And it means that America has a huge proportion of its male black population in prison. It's just unjustifiable. It's more than unjustifiable. It is racist, obscene, ugly. You think we're good in Britain? I'll tell you about one little incident. There were Black Lives Matter protests in London last week, and there was a counter-demonstration by people, I guess, who were nationalist inclined. Some of them may be right-wingers, some of them may have not. They were there saying they were there to protect Churchill's statue and the like. And it all turned violent. And one of the Black Lives Matters protesters was a friend of a friend. She was she was kettled by the police. She wasn't doing anything, nor were the group she was in. She was kettled with actually with a number of young black people. She was white. And they all looked after her and helped her because she was a little frightened. The police kettled them till 2 a.m. And the police would drinking water but not offering them water. Indeed the police were eating pizzas as they kettled them. They kettled them till 2 a.m. then let them out when the last tube had gone. Kettling you know is 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 funneling a group of protesters into a into a spot where they can't move and then and then holding them there in order to manage the protests better in theory. This is a counterproductive and be morally obscene and the British London police who are badly run anyway we have an atrocious police commissioner the lady who's in charge doesn't I mean it's the same lady that that was responsible for the killing of that man um, when uh, the bus bombings took place I don't know whether you remember the incident but anyway she was responsible for the team that that shot an innocent man in a, in a tube train South American guy and then they made a police commissioner as a reward and she's been incompetent ever since the British London police are incompetently run in my view and the the situation is that they're still using this disgraceful tactic kettling demonstrators utterly counterproductive it increases the rage and the and the anger of demonstrations demonstrators but that's not the point the point is not whether it succeeds or it doesn't succeed the point is it is morally wrong to punish the innocent for the crimes of a few guilty you do not do this sort of thing in a civilized society it is uncivilized and barbaric with a barbaric a barbarian as police commissioner in London, and this kind of behaviour should be stopped. It's a disgrace. Britain is pretty unclean. Violence against demonstrators breeds violence. We've seen some of the best of the US police actually marching with the demonstrators and standing with together with the demonstrators. And that is an example to the world when that happens. And we're not particularly good in, in the United Kingdom, or in America for that matter. Look at the glass ceiling for 
They talk about glass ceiling for women's employment, but glass ceiling for black and Asian employment, but black employment particularly, I think, more so than Asian. There is a thing, uh, there is a thing in which the black community are uniquely disadvantaged, and it's a problem. I look back to when I was a younger man, and I had a secretary, and one of the best secretaries I ever had was a black lady of middle years, old, well, slightly older than average anyway, and she was awesomely good. She was a great typist. She was thoughtful, conscientious. She was outstanding. And I got her first as a temp before I hired her as a full-time employee. And she looked at me and she said, William, if you had, if you had interviewed me in the normal way, instead of having met me as a temporary secretary and found me that way. If you'd interviewed me, if I come for a normal job application with you, you would never have employed me because I am black. And I said, nonsense. What nonsense? I said, no, 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 no. Of course not. Of course I would. But was she right? Was she right? Uh, is she at a basic disadvantage despite her great skill? Is she at a basic disadvantage merely because of the color of her skin? Is there a subconscious rage, racism? And even in, I mean, what is this? Am I about to say even in me? It sickens me to think so. It sickens me to think that she could be right. I hope not. But certainly, I mean, when, when I was in the Sultanate of Oman, I remember I learned how to... You'd think I'd been to college and, and studied business uh, and they taught about best practice for how to conduct interviews and so on. I worked in Oman... And they were particularly concerned about the fact that interviews should be fair. They have Somali, uh, they have they have various groups, minority groups in Oman. They have Shiites. They have people who come from Zanzibar. Yeah. They, anyway, they have a whole range of minorities, and they want to be fair. So the the guy who was director of the office said, "You you're going to employ a team, fine." You employ a team, but on what basis are we going to interview these people that you're going to interview? And so we started off, ugly enough, interviewing secretaries. And I said, okay, we'll have a points-based system. We'll test them with typing test, an English language test. We'll I will give them points out of 10 for affability and all the rest. So we, we gave them, little, we, we did little lists and we, we scored everybody and we just employed the person with the highest score. Uh, <laughs> There was a little girl called Sharifa. Gosh, I remember uh, she was so frightened in her first day at work. She was as timid as a mouse. I would have never employed Sharifa in the normal course of events. It's true. But we had our points-based system. She scored highest. And my goodness, within she was she was terrified the first couple of days she was working with me. Terrified. Um, be stuck in a room with this white guy. But within two or three days, she was looking at me when I got out of the office, saying, where have you been? Pointing at her watch. Where have you been, Mr. William? Time you were back. She was uh, suddenly, she was, you know, the great mama of the office and she was in charge. And she was, the, she was perhaps the best secretary I've ever had in my latter years of my life. So there you go. What to say about these things. So we need to think and, and it is, it's an important issue because I find myself dealing with issues. I've said this before, but 
I have a problem with veiled women. And you get them, I used to live in Victoria around Pimlico, and you, and you get a lot of white girls who married Muslim men and have gone to extremes. So they wear the full veil, you know, and they're there pushing prams and little black mountains they walk along. And I find myself resenting them, disliking them. So I have to counter this by mentally saying, I love you in my little head to this little black mountain of cloth that goes nattering along because I realize I shouldn't think like that about the other. But I do think it's counterproductive wearing the full veil in Western countries. I think it does promote racism because unless you are very guarded, you can resent it. You really have to guard against that because it's not part of your culture. And you just see, it also gives you a sense of women being disempowered. I, I'm sorry, but I think the full veil is disrespectful of women. That's just my opinion. Prophet Muhammad didn't de demand it. It's a cultural thing. And I dislike it, but I have to stop myself from being, allowing myself to, to feel, I don't know, um, this ugly kind of prejudice because of it. I have to, I have to make sure that my, that I don't like, allow this to color my judgment of a people. And there's the reverse side of this, it's the statues. I mean, people pulled down the statue of the slave trader, Coulson, or was he a slave trader? He benefited from slaves, earned money off the back of slaves. They pulled it down and threw it into the river. And it reminded me of the toppling of the statue of Saddam Hussein. And indeed the removal, do you know the palace in Baghdad? At the top of the palace that Saddam built for himself, he had great heads of himself in, in stone. Uh, with spiked helmets like some First World War soldier staring out over the city of Baghdad. The Americans took them down. Perhaps they should have, or should they? Perhaps they should have, or should they? Part of Iraq's history, or not? Difficult. I mean, I can understand the pulling down of the statue. I can understand the pulling down of the statue of Coulson. But stop now. I mean, in Oxford or Cambridge, one of the academic towns, they're about to pull down the statue of some South African, well, Anglo-South African, who benefited, who earned his bucks off mining and allegedly exploited the poor. I don't know uh, much about the guy, but come on, is all, are you going to pull down every statue? There's, uh, people are, I, I noticed somebody on the television being offended by the statue of Churchill. Stop now. This is not the way. You don't, you don't deny your history. There's been enough denial of the history of the black community. You don't deny. It's important. Statues are important. Don't take them down. They're important. Are you, they're important lessons. They're part of our history. Take these things down and you're pandering to the worst kind of us and them instinct. It doesn't, it's not inclusivity, it's, it's, it's retribution. You know, that's the trouble with justice. Justice is often retribution. Oh, let's have justice. Justice means punishing the other. And that's not the way forward. Taking down statues is not the way forward. You look at this time of coronavirus. Is God a racist? I mean, the Asian community are getting hit harder than anybody else by coronavirus. Why is that? Whites get away with it. Well, they don't, actually. I, some dear friend, white friends of mine, have, one has died, another is seriously ill, and another seriously ill. It's a nasty killer, and it doesn't distinguish. And even some young people I know have gone through terrible times with it. One of them has lost her sense of smell, 
completely. It's been it's it's been rife in the Somali community in, in the United Kingdom. Um, and what to say about that? I, I think the, the the Somali community, the United, the Asian community. Part of it may be larger families, and that's I mean larger traditional large families. I mean the the mixing involved with I don't know, but there may be many factors. All I can say is. God a racist? Why is this uh, striking these, the most disadvantaged, the most vulnerable in our society, more severely? Don't like it. I do not like it. There are issues too about political correctness. Let's get back to that a moment. Dominic Raab, the British Foreign Secretary, uh, made a stupid gaffe when he talked about, he compared the the kneeling in, in the Black Lives protests to the kneeling in Game of Thrones. Yeah, and he's hauled all over the coal, coals for it. I should be, I guess, but up to a point. And yet, in a way, I like him for it. Now, why is that? That sounds a terrible thing to say. I like him because he put his foot in his mouth. I like him because he put his foot in his mouth and and spoke honestly because I'm sick and tired of politicians who watch out what they say, you know? I mean, those those nasty little people you get on Question Time who measure every word. I mean, do we all have to watch every word we say if we're politicians? The politicians of this world need to speak from the heart and honestly. And if some guy like... Dominic Raab wants to say he's only going to kneel for the Queen and for his wife. It's okay. It's okay. Let him say it. Let him be a bit of a dumb, dumb over when it comes to... But let him speak honestly, at least. These, these sick, politically correct politicians are too much. I'll give you the worst example of political correctness that I have seen in recent years, let alone recent days. It's the British Rugby Football Union who have started an investigation of the use by the here uh, England team of the song Swing Low Sweet Chariot. Swing Low Sweet Chariot. I mean, what they're suggesting or what they're implying is that it might have been first used as a kind of um, insult to a black player. What nonsense. What absolute bull at any case. It's used with a, it's a great tribute. It's the state song of what, Ohio? Swing low, sweet chariot. There's nothing wrong with that song and there's nothing wrong with singing it. And the stupidity of the British Rugby Football Union. And you know why they make this little scene about political correctness, trying to be politically correct? They do it because only one of the 55 members of the administrative hierarchy of the rugby football union only one in 55 is from a black or asian background so there you go you're trying to cover up your own little sins if i were british prime minister i would in but there you go i'm not and i'm never likely to be thank god you might say if i were i would start i would immediately raise an issue and set up a little commission inquiry into the rugby football union. Nasty little toads that they are because they use some politically correct issue to cover up their own racism. Not good enough for it in my view. Well, you've had enough of my view now. <laughs> I'm lucky, aren't I? I get to come across with these diatribes on things that upset me. 
and you can't answer back. You can, you know. Uh, a lot of you who listen to this know me and do call me out if you think I'm speaking wrong. Okay, God bless you. All the best. <laughs>